the morning. As Adam said, go ahead and open up to Matthew 7. And if you're watching from home or on the internet, thank you for joining with us today and being a part of our time of worshiping the Lord together. And it's good to see all of you who are sitting here in front of me. Uh, so we're going to be continuing our series through the Sermon on the Mount, entitled At the Feet of Jesus. And uh, we'll be at the beginning of Matthew chapter 7 this morning. So, when was the last time you got something stuck in your eye? I hate that. It is so debilitating. It can be the smallest thing. I, I, I cut a lot of firewood for our home. We heat our home with firewood in the winter. And so, you know, running the chainsaw. And, I mean, just sawdust goes everywhere. And it's pretty frequent that there'll be just the tiniest little speck of sawdust. And, you know, one little speck of sawdust, and it's just, oh, oh, you know, and, I mean, you feel completely blind instantly, and just, by the way, a rule of thumb, turn the chainsaw off, all right? It is best to, to be able to see when you're running a, a, a chainsaw, right? So you turn the chainsaw off. Okay, so a couple years ago, uh, one of our kids had this happen to them. They had one of those tiny little bugs or flies or something fly into their eye. You've had this happen, right, in the summertime? Uh, but what happened to them was worse than what happened to you. Because they were able, like most of us, to kind of, you know, get the bug out. But they kept feeling like something was still there. And as mom and I looked, the wing of the bug was still in their eye. Like the wing had detached. You know, a little paper-thin wing, no big deal. Oh, yes, big deal. Big deal when it's in your eye, right? You know what the little wing did? It suction cupped onto their eye, right? And so, like, you know, Dad, I'm like the home surgeon. You know what I mean? Like, if there's a splinter, Dad gets, Dad gets after it, right? So I'm like, I'm wor- I, I can't get this thing off his eye. Mom can't get it off his eye. So what do you do? You go to the doctor. And the doctor can't get it off his eye because the wing is suction cupped to his eye. So they have to put him under and have eye surgery to get the wing of a fly off of his eye. Tiniest little, not even like the tiniest little bug, the wing of a bug. Completely debilitating. Right? Eyesight matters. And this morning Jesus is going to point us to that reality, to our spiritual eyesight, to our, at times, inability to see ourselves rightly, to see others rightly, even to see God Rightly. So, with that in mind, let's, let's look at the first uh, six verses of Matthew chapter 7 together. This is God's Word. Follow along as I read. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. God's Word. All right, so we're going to look at this in two points this morning. 
Two points then. Point number one is a fly in the eye. A fly in the eye. So Jesus draws our attention to an eyesight problem, an eyesight problem that every Christian at times deals with, that we can be susceptible to. It's not the result of a little fleck of sawdust from cutting wood in our eye. It's not the result of a fly in the eye. No, he talks about a log in the eye. Like, what? I mean, have you ever even tried to picture what this looks like? What this, looks like? this is, it's, it's an absurd picture. You can't get a log in your eye. Or if you did succeed, that'd be the last thing you ever succeeded at doing, right? Like, this is, this is a kind of debilitation far beyond what we're used to thinking about when we think about something being stuck in our eye. And Jesus is doing that on purpose. He's, he's shocking us with this on purpose that he could get our attention to how serious it is to have something like this going on. But not only does this person identified here have a log in their eye. I mean, picture this, right? Remember how I said, when I get a speck of sawdust in my eye, what's the first thing to do? Turn off the chainsaw because you are a danger at that point, right? But the person with the log in their eye walks around and like, you know what? I think you've got something in your eye. Let me get my tweezers and come after your eye while I'm completely blind. That's not going to end well. You know what I mean? Can you imagine somebody coming at you with tweezers for your eye? Ooh, that's terrible. Can you imagine a bit of blind in doing that? Right? Like, this is... This is this is a bad picture of what is of what is happening. So what's Jesus talking about? What is when he says that that somebody has a speck in their eye, somebody else has a log in their eye, what is he referring to? He's talking, of course, about sin. And he's talking with uh, with regards to this log in the eye of serious and significant sin. By virtue of the fact that Jesus used two pictures here, he talks about dust in the eye and and a log or a plank in the eye, he is helping us to see that some sin is more serious than others. Now, listen, all sin is worthy of God's wrath eternally. But that does not mean that some sin isn't worse than others. Some sin has a bigger impact and a bigger effect on you and on those around you than other sins have. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. And so this log in the eye is, is a significant, kind of massive issue in this person's heart. And even though it's massive, they don't know it's there. Or they refuse to acknowledge that it's there. They've got a log in their eye, unseen, unobserved, clueless, Walking around, the hypocrite, as they are called, can't see or perhaps won't see their own sin clearly, but they imagine that they can see your sin really well. They're like visionary, super perceptive, you know? They can, like a little heat-seeking missile. Oh, that's some sin over there. I'm going to go fix that problem in that other Person, See, the, the hypocrite can see your sins precisely and exactly because of the great vision they have in their mind, right? 
Because you know, of course, that when you have a log in your eye, you can't actually see a thing at all. Right? Here's, here's the danger for the hypocrite. It's not just that they're blind. It's that they're blind to their blindness. And they think they can see. And they think they're making the world better by helping out others, pointing out other people's sin. Clear-sightedness in their own imagination. And so Jesus begins by addressing us with a command in verse 1. He says, Judge not that you be not judged. Judge not that you be not judged. What kind of judgment is Jesus talking about here? We might call it sinful judgment. Of course, it's sinful judgment because Jesus says not to do it. And so to do it is sin. But it's a particular kind of judgment that he is concerned about and forbidding right here. And he kind of explains that in this picture with the stack and the log in the eye. Sinful judgment assumes the best of self and assumes the worst of others. Sinful judgment minimizes its own issues and maximizes somebody else's issues. Sinful judgment is happy and pleased with its own failings, but irate with the failings of other people. That is sinful judgment. Three things kind of come together in sinful judgment. It has a bad origin. Sinful judgment arises out of that soil that even all Christians still have in our hearts called pride. That's where sinful judgment comes out of. It's pride that says, you know, I'm pretty good and you're pretty not. I I pretty much got it together and you obviously don't. Pride minimizes its own failures. You know, log? What log? No log in my eye. But that speck better get taken care of as it looks to the other person. Sinful judgment has a bad origin. Its origin is pride. It has bad perception then as well. That's the thing about sinful judgment is so often it's just wrong. It can't see rightly. It's convinced that it can, and so it comes with all kinds of heat, but very little light. Very little truth behind what it is saying. So it's, it's bad perception. So it thinks it can see well. So if you're not seeing the facts correctly, but you think you are, then, then how do you make up that difference? Assumption. That's what you do. You assume the motives of someone else. You see what they do? And we can all see what others do, but then you make that leap from observing what they do to assuming the heart behind it. Or perhaps you see part of what they do and you assume what the rest is going to be or what the rest would have been if they could have gotten away with it. It's like sinful judgment has half the story and none of the truth. just makes up the rest. It's got a bad origin, bad perception, and then it has bad results. Friends, sinful judgment is inherently, because it comes from pride, about making ourselves look good at the expense of someone else. It's a comparative thing. I mean, have you ever watched like a YouTube video or something of people acting stupid and you just feel kind of good watching it? Because, you know, boy, they're stupid, I feel better. You know? I mean, that's kind of 
what sinful judgment is about. But at a moral level, it's about putting others down so that we are higher, relatively speaking. It's delighting in drawing attention to someone else's sin, failing the specs that's in their eye, at disgracing them, at destroying their reputation. And this Christ condemns when he says, judge not. He says, don't do that. He, he forbids this kind of sinful judgment. But there's, there's actually two different ways that we can think about judging things or perceiving reality around us. And one, Jesus forbids, called sinful judgment. But the other, he encourages, and we might call that godly discernment. Godly discernment. Because the opposite of sinful judgment is not just close your eyes and just pretend everything's good. Pretend everyone else is good. Pretend the world is good. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us away from sinful judgment and towards a kind of godly discernment. And you can see that twice in this passage. The first is in verse 5. This is how we can be discerning with our brothers and sisters around us. Walk in godly discernment. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so by removing the log out of our own eye, our eyesight improves. I mean, isn't that the basic idea of the picture that Jesus is talking about here, right? You can't see with a log in your eye. Hey, take that out. Things get more clear. In other words, you grow in godly discernment. You can see reality now and even be helpful to a brother who does have a speck in his eye and, and come alongside and help them where they need help. Just dwelling in godly discernment. But then the second is down in verse 6, which has more to do with how we interact with an ungodly world around us. As those who are called to love the world, as those who are called to preach the gospel in this world. Yet there's a warning right here. Verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, Jesus chose two animals which in Jewish culture at the time were unclean. Don't think puppy dogs when you hear this, right? These were street-living animals that were unclean, just like pigs are unclean, right? And so, he says, don't don't give what's good to these kinds of people. Boy, Jesus just categorized some people as unclean animals. It can sound like this kind of sinful judgment, but of course it's not. It's Christ that's speaking, and he's pointing us to a clear-sighted godly discernment in how we live and walk in this world. He calls you, friend, to discern the kind of people that you're working with and talking with and interacting with to watch them and to draw appropriate conclusions. So, you know, if there's somebody that you've, perhaps you've shared the gospel with them several times and they are militant and they are angry about it and they're hardened to the gospel and they persist in their sin and they're, maybe somebody else, it's manipulative. That they fake their forgiveness. They fake their repentance to you. And then they turn around and they do it again and they do it again and they do it again. And Jesus says, don't cast your pearls before them. Be discerning. Don't trust them with yourself. 
with your best. Don't waste your words and your time, and I think even don't bother casting the great pearl of the gospel before those who are hardened to it. That is a kind of discernment that requires wisdom. You can walk in that kind of discernment. Okay, so we're called to godly discernment, away from simple judgment towards godly discernment. All right, so point number one, a fly in the eye. Fly in the eye. Number two, go to the doctor. Go to the doctor. So if you need to go to the doctor to get a wing of a fly out of your eye, and if that were to ever happen to you, that's how that's going to go, how much more a log, right? It's a big deal. We need to go to a doctor. And that's what Christ is pointing us to here as well in the issue of sin. He says again in verse 5, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. So what does that look like? What, what, is, what is Jesus pointing us here to when he, when he tells us to take the log out of our eye? He, he's calling us to repentance. Right? He's calling us to, to walk the path of repentance, of, of noting that we have a log in our eye, of admitting that we have a log in our eye, of mourning that a log in our eye, and turning to Christ to be healed and fixed and restored, to ask for forgiveness, to ask for mercy, to ask for grace, to change. Friends, this morning, do you have a log in your eye? Is there something that you are dealing with? If there is, then go to the doctor, the one who has carried away all of our infirmities, who has medicine for your every disease, who can cleanse every wound, who binds up the broken. His name is Christ. He is the great physician. And this is what he does for his children. He heals his people. And friend, if you've never turned to Christ, this, this is the road. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. The road to God is named repentance and faith. It's the only road to God. It's to admit the, the sins, the, the logs that are in our eye, and it's to come to Him for healing come to Him to have those things removed so that we can then see God clearly. So if you've never done that, then let me encourage you to, to look to God in that way, to admit the log or even perhaps plural logs in your eye and ask Him to save you. But church, this road of repentance is not just the first way we come to God. It's the way we walk with God every day. In this world, as sinners, in this world where, just like me outside, you know, I, I don't think I spend a day with the chainsaw without getting at least something in my eye once. That's how it is to live in this world, getting stuff in our eyes. Sin grows. There will be days, by the grace of God, as you walk with Him, there will be days that all you need to do is come to God and ask for help with the speck in your eye. And there will be other days and perhaps seasons when you've got to come and ask for help with the log. It's gotten wedged in your eye again. To ask afresh for repentance again. Friends, let us not grow tired of walking that path. It's so easy to grow tired 
of walking the path of repentance. Let us not grow weary. This, this is the path back to the cross of Jesus Christ. This is a path back to the, to the place where God's mercy flows out upon His people. It's the path of humility as we admit who we are and look to Him for healing. So, what happens when we go to the doctor in this sense? What happens when we go to Him? Well, the, the most important thing that's going to happen, friends, as we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is hope for every believer every day as we follow after God. Every day we go back and there's fresh grace and there's fresh mercy. I want to point to another effect, what Jesus is talking about here in this passage. If you think of your heart perhaps like a garden, this walking in humility cleans the garden of your heart. It cleans it. It makes it more fruitful in the good things. How does it, how does it do this? Well, first, with regards to sinful judgment, this judge not that Jesus is talking about here. Humility is like weed killer on sinful judgment. Roundup, you know, going after the, the, the weeds, the poison of sinful judgment. It comes up in the cracks of our heart. Humility breaks it and kills it. Because sinful judgment has to stand above somebody else. It has to look down the nose at somebody else. How shameful that speck in your eye is. But humility knows, who am I to pass judgment on another? Who am I? I, the one who just had to have a law removed. And apart from the mercy and grace of God, it would still be there. Who am I to look down upon the speck in somebody else's life? Humility tears down sinful judgment. It says, who am I to pass judgment on another? I who stand on mercy. It's the only thing I can stand on. If I try to stand anywhere else, I will fall. Who am I to deny mercy to somebody else? This is all I have. Is the mercy of God. We'd be about extending that mercy to others. See, the humble take verse 2 seriously. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And says, oh God, help me. I need mercy from you. Help me extend mercy to others. I want you to be gentle to me. Help me be gentle to others and not sinfully judge those around me. See, humility gives us clear eyes for ourselves. We see ourselves rightly. We see ourselves as our first priority in the sense of following God ourselves, growing in godliness ourselves. It takes the focus off of others and puts it on us. So we're saying that humility cleans up the garden and the heart and it sprays this weed killer on sinful judgment, but it does two things. It puts weed killer on sinful judgment and then it puts fertilizer on godly discernment. Godly discernment can begin to grow like a, like a beautiful flower in, in the, the garden that God has of, in our heart. Why is this? Why does godly discernment grow as we're humble? Because... As we see the log in our eye, 
They take the log out. We can see better. We can be more discerning in the spiritual sense of what's really going on around us. Our eyesight is no longer blurry, stopped by this log. And that's, that's the whole point of Jesus' picture here. Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. But if you, if you thought about the privilege that it is as a believer to help your friend, your brother, your sister in Christ, where they need it most. Do you, do you know what a precious privilege this is as, as a church to get to walk together? If, if you're to see a, a speck in a brother's eye, to be able to come alongside in a way that helps them walk more closely with Jesus for the rest of their life, what, what kind of a privilege is that? What kind of a joy is that to get to help each other in these particular way. So, would you, would you desire to help a hurting brother? If you do, then begin by removing the log in your own eye. That's where we start. Do you desire to help a burdened sister? Then focus not first on where she should repent, but first on where you need to repent. So that you can see clearly to help her. See, if you want to become a doctor of the body, then you need to go to medical school. You want to become a doctor of the soul. You need a different school. You need a school of humility. Where you willingly, as it were, go under the knife and allow the Holy Spirit to be at work pulling the logs out of your eye. And then, He will fit you for usefulness for your brother, for your sister. Then, you will see clearly to be a, a vessel in the house of the Lord, useful to your brothers and sisters, useful in God's hands for the good of the church. If you would be a doctor of the soul, you must enter the school of humility and learn to live in it. So friends, this morning, where are you in need of the great physician? Where do you need him? be careful because it would be easy right now to kind of just, in the way that I talk, assume that everybody has a log in their eye. And you might not, glory to God. God's at work. If you're following him, there might not be a log in your eye. And if that's the case, then give him praise this morning. You might have a speck in your eye. That would be good to bring to him. You might have a log in your eye. Then you need to bring that to him this morning as well. And if you're not, at the place right now where you're aware of something you need to repent, then prepare your soul. Stir yourself up afresh in the goodness of God because tomorrow you're going to need to repent. Right? Again, this is the path that we're all walking every day as we follow after God. So, Saint, don't, don't, re- don't tire of returning to the Lord. Don't grow weary of looking back to Him. Where else can we go but to Him? Remember when, the, when, when Jesus asked His disciples, are you going to leave me too? And he, they said, where would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And He does. He has the words of life. So if you have sin to confess, or a wound to be healed, or a log to be removed, then humble yourself afresh before the great 
position. He's still able to save. He's still in the business of forgiveness. He's still working holiness into the hearts of his saints. He's still fitting his saints for usefulness in his house. Look to the Savior, friend. Look to the Savior with your pattern of sin. Look to the Savior with your habit of failure, with the shameful fall that happened. And as deep as that sin is, His grace is deeper still. His grace for you is deeper still. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness, so let us look to Him and look to Him again and again. And then may He fit us for usefulness in His kingdom. Usefulness so that we are protected in an ungodly world as we, as we seek to go out as, as sheep among wolves, to have the kind of discernment to not cast pearls in the wrong place. To walk as discerning people of God. And then to walk within the church in a discerning way. Clear-sighted, logs removed, able to help, restored by God so that He can then use us to restore others as well. So may He fit us for usefulness in His house. May He use us for the building up of His house, for the building up of His church. May He do that for His own name and for His own glory. So let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the words of Your Son that instruct us in the way of following after You. I pray now that You would grant Your Holy Spirit to help each of us to humble ourselves before You afresh to ask you to examine us afresh, that we would see clearly those things in our lives which are displeasing to you. You'd grant us the gift of repentance. And Lord, that you'd grant us fresh faith, that we would see Christ as enough. His grace is sufficient. That we would, that we would behold you, God, as a God who is our Father, who cares for us. Thank you for your fatherly love for us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.